What's going on, folks? It's your boy, Dr. Sean Thomas here, and welcome to episode five of the Be More Today show. We are back. We are back. We are back in the building. It is Easter week. It's Passover week, and we're excited to be back with the Be More Today show. Uh, my co-host today is none other than my boy, uh, the vice president of Be More Today Music. He is a man of so many talents. You heard him on episode one of the Be More Today show, but he's here with me for this holiday weekend. Terrence Farrell. What's going on, Terrence? What's up? I just love saying that. I love saying that. Since the commercial, everybody don't know about the commercial, but I just, I just love saying it like that. That's right. <laughs> generational thing. We gotta bring that back. We dated turns. How you feeling, man? How's your family? What's going on? Everything's good, man. Everything's real good. Um, in the midst of this whole pandemic, I, I feel, I feel weird when I bring my son out to the park because the parks are shut down, but we got a soccer field and we still run and. I feel like everybody's looking at us like, what are you doing out? But I'm not really like, I'm taking it serious, but I'm not freaking out about it, you know? Yeah, no, it's getting hard. A lot of the kids, my daughter's getting stir crazy just being in the house all day. So I actually took her to uh, Brooklyn Bridge Park yesterday. We had masks on, we had gloves on, and we stayed away from people. But, you know, just to kind of be outside and just be around air and water and, you know, just, just yeah. to see things besides the four walls. She was so happy. And, uh, yeah, we got to do those kind of things every now and then. Not all the time, you know, but, you know, right. every now and then just to kind of get outside. It's a good thing to do. And, um, you know, this week was actually uh, World Health Day on April 7th. And, you know, the entire world, as we know, is going through a crisis. Uh, but it's more important now that our health is uh, on the forefront of our minds more than ever before. And right. as always, we start the show off with some kind of quotation. And the quotation for this week is actually taken from chapter 27 of my book, and it's a quote by Audre Lorde, and she says, I have come to believe that caring for myself is not self-indulgent. Caring for myself is an act of survival, uh, especially during these times, man. This, these times are an act of survival. Literally, every single day, we get new information about uh, what we should be doing health-wise. You know, everyone's saying, drink this, drink that, eat this, eat that, but our health right now is more important than ever before, especially because COVID-19, the way it's going is that it affects people in various ways. You know, they said originally people who were in a certain age group were getting it. But now we're seeing people who are, you know, 41, uh, 39. Apparently some tiger in some zoo in New York has it. You know what I mean? So it's like, a, it's a weird thing where anyone really is susceptible to this thing. So we really need to be diligent and vigilant about our health every single day, getting our sleep, getting our water, getting our exercise, you know, getting our fresh air, our vitamins, um, you know, our entire health message, really, we've been talking about this for years, but just really putting that into place daily because no one is really safe when it comes to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when, when I when I hear a quote, I think about uh, when you fly a plane and they said, if anything happens, you take the mask and put it on yourself first so that you're able to help other people. And taking care of your health first, it's just Everybody knew they were supposed to do it, but now it just brings it to the forefront, like you said. Yeah, yeah, it's getting real. So long as we stay diligent with that, and folks, listeners, just continue to go out there, do your social distancing, wear your masks, do your Purell, wash your hands, uh, and we together as a people will continue to level this curve. So let's just keep pushing. Let's just keep pushing, and let's just stay healthy. Yeah. 
For real, for real. Um, we got a we got an exciting guest today. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I first heard him speak, he's 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 one of the more dynamic speakers that I've I, that I've that I've uh, been able to listen to. Mm. Um, my guest was born in Harlem, New York. Yeah, all right. He's also a graduate of Northeastern Academy, Oakwood University, Andrews University, Andrews Theological Seminary, my bad. It was when he enrolled in Oakwood University to study communications that he gave his life to the Lord and was called by Christ to ministry in a dream during his sophomore year. Also while at Oakwood, he met his wife, Tamika. He wrote and toured a multicultural drama production called Slave Salvation Story. In June of 2006, he received a call from the Central States Conference of Seventh-day Adventists to serve as an associate youth pastor of the Park Hill SDA Church in Denver, Colorado. In 2010, he was chosen to serve as the associate youth director for Central States Conference. In June 2012, he became the youth director of the Central State Conference while pastoring at Tabernacle of Praise SDA Church in St. Louis, Missouri. In 2014, he was voted into ACM, Adventist Chaplaincy Ministry, where he serves as a chaplain. Currently, he works with the Estimating Department in Construction Contract Management. Um, his passion in life is to find new ways of introducing people to Christ. His ministry philosophy is to edify, evangelize, and equip everyone, especially youth. He and his wife are proud parents of Mojave, Makai, and Mayette, two boys and a girl. I'd like y'all to help me welcome to the mic Donald Roll. Hey, what's going on, everybody? How you feeling, man? Pastor Roll, Donald Roll, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm chilling. I'm doing real well. I can't uh, we got to first talk about this. I didn't know you were from Harlem. I'm from Harlem. For real? You from Harlem? Yeah, man. I'm Lennox yeah. Terrix, one, uh, 135th and Lennox. I don't know where you are in Harlem exactly, but... Uh, um, I grew up on 136 and 8th Ave. Okay, so it's very possible that we might have played the playground at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that's right, that's right. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. We really appreciate it. Um, it's awesome. Your resume is fantastic. You've done so many things. Um, I have a lot of questions, so we have to get into this off the bat. Dig, dig so, on in, man. Dig um, on in. First of all, I know you have you have children. You have a wife, clearly. So, what's your current situation, given all that's happening with COVID nineteen and everything else around the world? Where are you right now? Um, I am in I am in uh, Dayton, Ohio, the Dayton, okay. Ohio area. Um, we're close to Dayton, um, and I'm back and forth in between New York. So, New York and Dayton, because my work is out there. So, okay, uh, you know, just you know, New York is a is a construction boom. So. So in between, in between two states, actually. So I'm in Ohio right now. I tried to uh, escape the apocalypse, the New York apocalypse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so really, my, my quarantine time, man, has been been a blessing um, uh, in Ohio. Um, with my kids running around and you know trying to do school with them, and, and you know just stepping into a whole new role and realm, my brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. So are you are you passing right now? Are you construction stuff right now? What are you doing right now? I'm I'm full blown in the um you know in the in the corporate market. Um 
I'm not pastoring. I actually stopped pastoring in 2014. Really? Yeah, yeah. So after I hit administration, um, youth director, I had stopped pastoring at that point, of course, because I'm working in the office. Um, so yeah, I had gotten pretty spoiled. I wasn't in a church, you know, my last couple of years of official ministry, you know, being with the conference. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I segued in 2014 um, to, I was going to get into hospital, I mean, military chaplaincy, then uh-huh. segues into clinical chaplaincy. And that's when I made my transition to New York City and we moved and packed up and, uh, and tried to, you know, tried to experience ministry in a new way. That, that's it. what I was chasing for. Okay. All right. So yeah, let's get into this. So, you know, we read your bio, we heard your story, uh, and we heard the dream. When did you realize officially that you wanted to be a pastor? Okay. All right. I was at Oakland. It's a dramatic story. I had three separate calls, right? Because I was a little wild child when I went there. And even though I had gone to Adventist high schools, I had never really focused or paid attention to what they were preaching, saying, and anything. So um, my conversion experience was almost like new, and Adventism sort of became new to me, too you know, because I sort of woke up to it. But anyway, um, I got a dream in um, my sophomore year. I went to sleep and in the dream, I saw the words Matthew 419. Not the verse, not what it says, but just the, the chapter, the name of the book, mm-hmm. chapter and verse. And when I woke up, you know, I was puzzled, like what in the world? So I ran to the Bible and I opened up to Matthew 419. It wasn't as if I had devotion on it last night. So, you know, it seeped in my dream somehow. So I went not knowing what this verse said. And, and then when I opened it up, it said, Jesus said unto him, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So like literally I was almost forced, you know, without a shadow of a doubt to know that that was my point when I was called into ministry. And, um, and so from that, that dream alone, really, I just ran to the theology department at Oakwood switched everything up and um, tried to get on the path to a preacher, whatever that meant, whatever that looked like, you know, whatever I had to do. And that, that, that was my call into ministry, man. So through a dream. Wow. Wow. That's very <laughs> prophetic. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, yeah. Cool. So yeah, you had the dream and then just let the listeners know for those who don't know what the path to ministry really looks like or entails. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I mean, the path for ministry, it, it, it all starts with some sort of inner conviction that you're speaking or being communicated with by God through some, I don't know, some, you know, E. Cleveland used to say through a dramatic method, through um, being with someone closely related in ministry, it like rubs off on you mm-hmm. you're gonna, or by some, you know, divine assignment. You know, you just feel it ever since you were born. It's just the only thing you can concentrate on. You know, so he said some people are called through natural birth. Some people are called through association with somebody who is called and it rubs off on them. They realize, oh, that's my thing, too. Or you get a dramatic, you know, sort of introduction to God and his word and what he wants you to do. You know? And and so from there, it starts that personal conviction. And then. For Adventist track, it's education, pure and true, you know. Um, so, you know, you, you, you go to a, a, some sort of school. Um, we have many, all of our schools, seven Adventist schools, offer theology in some shape, form, or fashion. You know, Oakwood is believed to have the strongest program. So, um, so yeah, you, you, you dive into these classes, man. And um, really, it's all about understanding the biblical world. Like, you have to create in your mind a well-versed 
idea of what that world looked like. You know what I mean? And in order to do that, you know, you have to go into the original material. You have to go to the original documents. You have to study the cultures and not just Israelite culture or Hebrew culture. You got to study Canaanite culture. You got to study Egyptian culture. You got to study their enemies and their times and their kings and what was happening around there that impacted Israel. So you're really building up this sort of cachet of historical accompaniment knowledge so that by the time you jump into a story, mm-hmm. you can take the story and put it in that world for the people because you have that background knowledge mm-hmm. of, you know, what it was like, you know, to be a nomadic tribe in, 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 in Moses' time, what it meant to be a disciple in a more urban environment. You see what I'm saying? You, you switch up the topography, the geography, the times, and all of that for the people to build the meat of the story. And I think that theology school takes you through a slow pace of how to do that. Um, learning the languages, parsing the languages, understanding the issues that we have between translating from their language to our language. You know, we go into the dirty minutia. It's, it's really boring. It's, it's, it's detail. It's not full of hallelujahs and amens. And you're not, you know what I'm saying? It's really like just hardcore researching and, you know, dipping into archaeology, dipping into etymology, dipping into old cultures, dipping into wars and dates. You just have to be a lover of history, really. They yeah. make you, you got to be a lover of, of, of history. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terrence? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it brings to, it brings to light how um, you're able to, like you said, bring it to different cultures because you understand the whole background. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun. It's fun, man. <laughs> you look like you're having fun when you're it's having fun. It is fun, man. That's cool, man. That, that's cool. Now, I had a question. One of my questions is, it's always on the encouragement thing. So how do you, or, or I should, yeah, how, how, how would you say you encourage people in this type of time? Because there's, there's so many people that have so many ideas and there's so many things hitting them and they got so many emotions. How would you... How, yeah, how would you uh, encourage people? You mean in, in view of the, Ill, the the sickness that's going around? Yeah, the pandemic was, that's going around right now. Mm. Um, you know, really, I, I, I've been really feeling convicted just in my personal life over the last couple of years mm-hmm. to really preach about faith. Like, you know, and I, I don't know why. I don't know why something so seemingly in my theological list something that didn't seem like a high priority. Like, you know, you need to be ready for the second coming. You need to do this. You know, there are other like big themes like you need to be focused on. Right. You know, faith seemed to be such a soft ball in in a hardball game, you know. Right. But realize like, you know, faith is like the gateway to experiencing anything spiritually, to experiencing anything that we proclaim. You know, you love the Bible. You love in times. You love the truth. Like, how do you access that? You believe it by faith, you know. And so really, man, um, these last couple of years have been a concentration on what faith is and how to execute it, how to practice it. And it sort of flows in vain with right now. You know, I think um, it's confusing for people. Mm-hmm. You know, on the one hand, it, it could be signs of the times. Right. <laughs> judgment of God. You know, whatever, whatever. you know what I'm saying? So, you know, wherever, wherever we stand on that thought spectrum of what's going on, um, I think that one's faith, you know, that, that God's word is ultimately, you know, true and is going to be executed and it's going to happen. And, um, and, and it shields me from the, the things that I don't know, mm. not through ignorance, not like I'm going to be ignorant and still believe this and I don't care. Not that, right. but um, sometimes when God is not answering, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Or, or seemingly answering on time for you. 
You know what I mean? Um, You know, faith is something that, you know, doesn't put me on an emotional roller coaster. It allows me to stay even keeled. You know what I'm saying? Uh, And, 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 and it it works, man. You know, I, I, you know, I'll tell the testimony later, but, you know, I actually contracted this deadly little thing, you know, and, and, and I, and I really feel, you know, that it was partly through faith, you know, through common sense and, you know, eating right and all that, that I overcame, you know, so really, man, I'm, I'm just really big on faith and people having an experience with God through that faith. Cause you're going to have an experience through church and, and good experiences singing and stuff, but it right. might not be, might not be a faith thing. Right. And now what do you feel are pastor's biggest challenge in this time? Because you got number, you know, you, the whole situation about quarantine and all. Ooh, Ooh pastors are, I mean, it, pastors are going through it. It's weird. It's like, it's very, very good. Right. Very, very bad. You know what I mean? Um, you know, here we have it. We get the challenge of the church, you know, to be virtual, to be technology, to advance, move forward, such and such, you know, but then you don't have contact with your people. And I think that that was the main modem of ministry is the human, the human contact. It's the fellowship. It's the gathering of yourselves together, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the pastor gets a little bit easier way to preach from home. Right. Then again, pastor's <laughs> home, like, like you're in my home. <laughs> you know, why that might sound cute, you know, sometimes you want you you want a little space, you know, people like, I know you ain't doing nothing, Pastor. You better get up and do the devotion. <laughs> you can't go and visit, preach, you can't take a Sabbath off, you can't do none of that. People know right. you're quarantining. We know where your butt is. You better get on here and do this, you know. So it can be it can be intrusive because people know your whereabouts. You know, you, you like a little anonymity, you know, especially when you're dealing with such a big social crowd, you know. So um it it, it can rob you of that. But um but I think the church is being challenged, you know, to to obviously do things in a new way. Um and I think pastors the pastors are challenged even in their faith. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you want to get up on Sabbath and preach a powerful message. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to say you're preaching between the living and the dead, right? That was proverbial. Right. Before, but it is real today. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Half of the crowd you're listening to, they're okay. They're all right. They're feeling good. They're quarantining. The other half, they, they, they're broke and don't have money right now. And you know, quarantine is not the best thing for them, and they might be in an abusive situation. They're experiencing the exact opposite through the same situation. So, how you preach to that? You got to be sensitive to it. You know, you know, for you, you can shout, "Amen," be excited, da da da, and there's somebody there like, and you got to consider that person. So, the range mm-hmm. of your preaching, mm-hmm. the range of what you're saying, it has to be mindful of the sufferer and the one who's celebrating. You know what I'm saying? Right. Somehow you got to include them both. You see, because it, it can't be all sad. Like you know, and everybody's not sad. Some people are overcoming. It's getting better. Right. You see Other people, it's not. They just lost. So it is that wide range. You got to be careful now. Yeah. You know, then to include everybody in that, and that's that's difficult. Way difficult. Yeah. And my next question was going to be, how do you stay connected to the members? But it's just, yeah. Man, you know, um. It's your online presence. You know, I think everybody want to see their past on there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. At, at this point in time, everybody else's past is on there. So you, I want to see my past, you know. So a level of pride, you know. Um, you know, so so social media is like the lifeline. Yeah. You know, they called it, um, one doctor said, he said, I don't call it social distancing. I call it physical distancing because we daggone sure need the social interaction. Right. Mm-hmm. right? You know, so, um, 
you know, we need, you know, we need to talk on the phone and text and, and WhatsApp is going crazy, you know. Um, and, and then Facebook is such a lifeline, Instagram. So, so I think that these things have become like really, really powerfully important, you know, just to not feel, you know, overwhelmed with loneliness or, or fear, you know, just to talk, you know, and you guys, you know, I feel like I'm talking before a big crowd, you know, <laughs> mentally, like, you know, it's just, it's really, really feels good just to, you know, just to have people to talk to and to know that you're being seen and heard. And, and uh, it's, it's important. It's an important feeling. Weirdly enough, you, you find out. Yeah. Can we take a second and just talk about COVID-19 and you? So you, you got to tell the story now. What, what happened? When did you find out? How's your body feeling? How'd you respond? Man. So, you know, let me give you a backdrop. You know, I have, a, I have a prayer journal and I write out my prayers, right? And I remember in February, late February, praying for immunity from this virus. Like mm-hmm. many people are probably praying. They're praying, you know, not even to catch it, you know, somehow. Right. Pass the thing by, but I but I had prayed for immunity. I was like, I want to be immune to this thing. And a few days later, uh, my job had shut down, you know, because of the virus. And um, so I said, you know, it's a good time for me to just head on and be with the kids. So I hopped on the fastest flight I could to try to escape New York. Mm-hmm. LaGuardia Airport was barren, mm. empty. I'm talking about. Empty. Next person is a mile that way in the airport, you know. So uh, I was covered. I was gloved up. I was all of that. I got on the plane. I was the only individual on the plane. I wow. had a private jet. Do you understand me? Brother was feeling nice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I had my mask and everything. You know, the, the flight attendant was bringing me anything I wanted, anything I wanted, you know. Um, and I felt good. I, I came here two days into being here. I started getting the chills, bro. Uh, <laughs> like, what's this? I got a pounding headache, you know? And then I was laid down. I, I just became exhausted. And, and my, my symptoms was that of a really strong flu for the first three, four days. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about back aches and fever, headache, malaise. Um, you know, I was laid out. Mm-hmm. Then my fever broke. So I was like, wow, you know, getting better. You know, fever breaks. Um, had a little bit of strength to get up and move. But then I'm telling you that COVID nineteen, that's a bad boy. Woo! That's a second gear, boy. It's like a ship. It's like driving stick ship. It's like, oh, you thought I'm done? <laughs> you think I'm playing? You think I'm playing with you? Oh no, that bad boy moved up to my respiratory. You know? Oh uh, yeah. And, um, and did it rob me of my taste and smell? Listen, wow. you know how you get sick. You know, you get a little congestion in your nose. You really can't taste the food. That it ain't that, bro. It's not that. I'm talking about you don't have the congestion. You don't have any of that. And I was eating, you know, oranges and this. And all I had to use my imagination to see what this thing tastes like because it was gone on my lips, you know? It was the weirdest feeling in the world. Mm. And, um, you know, the exhaustion is just one thing. You just feel supremely exhausted. Now, let me tell you, here's what is the scary part. This virus causes inflammation in your breathing canal, your trachea, mm-hmm. and your lungs. It just causes everything to swell up, like asthma, like you're an asthmatic. Um, so it's really your body doing it. Your body's doing the constricting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, you, you know, you feel this tightness in your chest, and, and it felt like I was panting at times, like, <laughs> because I couldn't get deep breath down. When I would panic, you have moments where you start to panic, like, whoa, whoa, bro, I can't breathe. You know, and then you want to force air, 
you know, mm-hmm. you, you do what's natural. And I don't know. I don't know if it's psychosomatic symptoms, but the more you try, the more it tightens and it stays. And you got to calm down. Like you literally have to go lay down. To me, I had to think about something else. I had to watch something funny, humorous, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And um, mm-hmm. to get the, that, that moment, that, that, that excitement down. And then my lungs or my, my breathing cavity would slowly open back up. It was weird. Calm down. You know, I was drinking a lot of ginger teas, turmeric, a lot of antioxidants, a lot of anti-inflammatories. I was eating pineapple. Like, mm-hmm. you know, everything that was anti-inflammatory, I had, you know, all natural. And, and on, the, on the clock with that, it really helped. Ginger tea, too. Ginger tea, boy. What? Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> what? Yes. Yeah, so, oh, man, I passed the time. It's just lengthy. It's just, you know, the length of time. You know, does your body have the wherewithal to fight for two weeks? Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. You know, and the fact that I had kids caused me to get up and to do things. And I think that that got my blood moving and um, it got me fighting, you know, because yeah. I take care, help take care of them. So um, it was it was grueling. It was grueling. And, and I've never experienced, I'll say this last thing, I've never experienced having a condition or going through an experience where other people are currently dying from the same thing. I don't, I, I don't know if a lot of people get to experience that. Maybe cancer, mm-hmm. cancer, you know, but not people who are alive, active, well, who don't have a history of sickness. While they're dying, you have the same exact thing and your um, status is up in the air. Yeah. Man. It's a, it's a lonely virus because it creates loneliness because hospitality will kill someone. Mm-hmm. Right. Benevolence and kindness will kill someone. Mm-hmm. Being nice to you during your darkest hour will kill the next person. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So you, you go through this collectively, but you definitely go through it alone because even the person who helps you has to ultimately think about themselves. Even if people around you, and you know that you know that they are risking themselves helping you. You know it's it's almost selfish of you to to ask them. So you have to walk through this alone. Yeah, yeah. No matter no matter where you are in your own house, yeah. you're alone. You know, and, and it feels bad to be quarantined to know that you're a danger, just existing and breathing. It could kill somebody. Mm-hmm. That ooh, that's psychological. That's 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 a thing. That's a thing to do for real. Now, I've heard, I heard a number of stories of people who, you know, like you, were positive or had signs and symptoms and had to self-quarantine from their family or from their kids. Right. What was that experience like? Um, it was difficult. It, it was really difficult. Um, really, really difficult. Um, unfortunately, my wife came down with it. Mm. So now you quarantine and how? Right. <laughs> I mean, really, realistically, you in one room, the other room, and the kids are. Yeah. Yeah. So you're masking up and washing and this and trying to keep a bathroom from the others. And it's just mayhem. It was, it was mayhem because I'm pretty sure that there was cross contamination. I, I just, for two solid weeks, while you're trying to make meals and you're trying to, mm-hmm. like, it was really, 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 really difficult. Really difficult. But, but everyone is well and safe and. You know, I have three kids, you know, and, and a wife. So that's five of us, you know. Yeah. So that's the, the odds of someone really, really getting something bad was very high. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just really thankful. You, you don't understand how grateful and thankful I am. Like, I yeah. feel like I've come through death and resurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, you know? Now, did you, did you get tested or you just went based on your signs yeah, and symptoms? Mm-hmm. You did. Okay. Yeah, after a while, yeah. 
Okay. So COVID positive. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm pretty sure I probably had it already. <laughs> I didn't get tested or anything, but those same, you know, there was a, a day or two where my, my sense of smell was kind of off. Um, but this is all before it even hit New York. Like before you yeah. hit New York, like maybe in the end of February, there was a day where I was like, I had real chills and I was like, what's going on? And I never get sick. No, what's right. going on with me? And it was like literally for maybe 24 hours. Um, I had a slight headache. I had not a fever. But I just felt like I was getting something and then wow. just went away. And the only yeah. thing that was still lasting was my, my sense of smell was off. That was it. And this is before they started talking about sense of smell being a symptom. But uh, I was like, my sense of smell was kind of funny. And I couldn't understand why. And then it went away. And then after that, they started talking about, you know, sense of smell being a certain sign and all the other things. And I was like, oh, maybe I did have this thing. Yeah. Maybe I did have it. He's going to work um, and I was lazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But we're, we're grateful that you, you got through it. And um, yeah. Studies are showing that people are getting through it, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that New York is going right now, the curve, they're saying this is supposed to be the worst of it right now. So that once we get past these next two weeks, hopefully yeah. things will level off like they did in Italy and everywhere else. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the plan. That's the hope. Yeah. Um, um, so, go ahead, yeah. Terrence. Yeah, Sean. So I, I don't know. I know you said that you're not pastoring officially, but you are a chaplain somewhere, you said, right? Well, I was a chaplain in New York City. Okay. Um, now I'm completely out of religious business in terms of, you know, working full time. Got it. In a completely different field. So how did you get into construction contract management? What was the transition for that for you? Like a miracle almost. Um, well, my father works for a contracting company. It's called Michael Anthony Contracting Corporation. Um, and they had a position open um, in the estimating department. And he had mentioned my name. And, you know, the owner of the company wanted to meet me. So I came in for the interview, you know, not knowing what in the world this was. Um, And he liked me so much, hired me on the spot, you know, and told me I'd be working in the estimating department. Now, brother never read blueprints, construction blueprints, you know, in New York City is such a construction boom Mm -hmm. place, you know. So I got, I really got thrusted into the estimating department. Really, really what it is, we do with contract management. So when a hospital or any other, um, Health facility wants to build a new structure or renovate, let's say, the emergency room. Um, we're one of the companies that specializes in helping to rebuild health spaces. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm having to learn to read blueprints, you know, construction blueprints, um, to estimate an entire job down to the dollar. That's basically what we do. You know, we take, you have a project in mind and you want to build something, and we'll say, okay, we're going to price everything out for you. We'll price out. Um, how long it'll take to build? We'll, we'll, we'll price out um, all of the, the subcontractors that you'll need. How long it'll take them? The transition times. Mm-hmm. So we give you a whole proposal, basically, on um, the project, the cost of the project, the length of the time, the logistics of the project, how we can accomplish it, the time frame we'll do it in. So it's just it, it took me it took me into the world of exactitude. You know, everything needs to be exact. Yeah. And, um, every dollar counted for. Like Jesus says, um, who builds a house without yet first counting the cost mm-hmm. you know, so that's exactly what i do i fulfill that that verse we count the literal cost of what you want to do down to yeah. the got you, got you. So it's fun. i never i never thought it would be fun i never thought i'd like it but yeah. i love it i love the minutia of how that of how all of that comes together and um you know really it's, it was like being thrown into another country with a different language right 
And, um, you know, cause I'm coming from a spiritual religious background yeah. and numbers, you know? And, uh, so <laughs> it was a loop, but, but, but I really love it, man. I really love it. And, you know, and I preach every weekend, um, in New York, I was uh, in a young adult pastor for one church for about two years. I was mm-hmm. a young adult pastor for my home church for two years. Okay. So, you know, I still had my foot in the pastor. Okay, okay, okay. okay. You know, the pastor vibe, you know, um, for a while. So, and I can't give it up. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So, you're doing both then? Doing both. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So, we, we always like to just encourage people to follow. Um, you know, this show is really about ordinary people doing extraordinary things and you're doing extraordinary things clearly, um, from the pastoring (laughs) to, uh, the construction stuff. So we always ask the question about advice. Uh, what would you wish someone had shared with you when you were 18 years old? Oh man. Mm, 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 mm. Woo. So much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I think, I think some, I think I wish that a man in particular or a woman would have taught me the value of becoming excellent or an expert in one thing to make yourself valuable, you know, especially on the cusp of, you know, 18 years old is on the cusp of leaving high school and going to college. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, if someone could have made me a little bit more intentional about seeing through to my future, like, you know, giving me the option, but saying, Hey man, once you do this, this is what it looks like. This is how much you make. This is what life is really like, you know, because I think, you know, how when you're, when you're young and someone says, what you want to be when you grow up? And you say, I want to be a fireman. I want to be this. I want to be mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Some people have the same mentality in college. Like, what you want to do? I want to be a nerd. Oh, it, it's still, it's still like such a big fantasy. It's like, you still don't know how much I get paid. Right. You know, we'll hold up your bills. How will you live? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's all of the details of what that life or what that discipline or what that thing will give you yeah. and how you'll be able to live, what level of life you'll be able to live on based yeah. on that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because people, you know, we want, you know, we get mid-level jobs, but we have high-level dreams. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Being a certain way of doing, but, you know, our dreams are not even, or, or how we lay out our dreams, the, the strategy of how to get there is not comparable. Yeah. So you want, you know, you want to live in a bungalow in Mozambique, you know what I'm saying? You, you're not going to get that, right. you know, this, you know, thing. So I, I just, I just wish that someone was a little bit more strategic with me, but because, you know, with many of us as African-Americans and stuff like that, some, some folk are just so excited you made it to college. Mm. That's, <laughs> that's all you get. You, know you get excited, you get excited. Yeah. You made it to college, you make it to college, you're good. But you need a lot of guidance. That's like, yo, you need a serious rudder under your speedboat in college. Yeah. Because that you you from there you can you can switch gears and make a hundred thousand dollars. Or you can come out with a job making forty thousand. It's like somebody needs to grab you and shake the living daylights out of you like now's the time to focus. Yeah. You know, so yeah, at eighteen, I, that's what I wish. I wish I had somebody all on my back who knew me intimately to say, Okay, this is what we're gonna do with this. Mm-hmm. How this going to execute and work. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, basically, I would have majored in two things as a pastor. I would have majored in theology, and then I would have done something like engineering or something like that. You see what I'm saying? So gotcha. that um, I wouldn't be constricted with a pastor's salary, and then just you know claim I'm sacrificing the rest of my life. Now I want to I want to look like y'all. You know what I'm saying? I want a studio with all the equipment too. You know what I'm saying? I want to live. <laughs> yeah, I want. You mean like you mean like him? I ain't got no <laughs> studio. <laughs> you got a mic with the thing in the front. That's official. That's Amazon. <laughs> you ain't playing. Yeah. I'm just, what am I using? You know, I'm using a laptop. <laughs> 
know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and, and it's, you know, so I just, I just, I just wish that I, I was set up a little bit better to make a little more, because you start finding out as a pastor, the needs of your members are beyond spiritual. Mm-hmm. Especially the black community, folks like really hurting, man, and you can't send them away with prayers. Yeah. You know, I wish, you know, just for prayers, I wish I had a little bit more, you know, to, to, to offer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Through, through my, through my, through my wealth. Yeah. No, I, I definitely hear that. Now, um, I'm, I'm switching gears a little bit because Uh-oh. in doing all of this, in all of the um, aspirations and movements, you're, you're a father and a husband. Mm-hmm. And you've got three. I've got one. And I'm like, I don't see how people, I got a two and a half year old. What's the most challenging and the most rewarding part of being a, a father and a husband? Um, I think the most challenging thing for me right now is I have three kids in three different age brackets. They're learning on three different levels. I have a 10-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old daughter, two boys and a girl. And, um, you know, you just can't speak to them the same. You know, the learning, especially when they're under 10, like they're growing so fast and their learning patterns are so different. Like I really try to be really conscious of not treating them like a wholesale. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like one size fit all. So I try to really individualize my fathering, you know, my parenting, catered for them because it's what I wanted. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I wish, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, maybe my dad knew me a little bit more intimately. You know what I'm saying? To know that, you know, man, I'm the type of guy you don't really need to yell at me to get me to do what you need me to do or, or something like that, you know? Um, so, so yeah, it's, 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 it's the challenge of individualizing your parenting for each child because, I mean, they got brothers and sisters, but they didn't ask for a brother and sister. You know, they, all they know is their life. You know, they just know you. You know, when there's a lot of noise in the house, they don't know about the other noise. They're making noise. You know what I'm saying? So, it, it's 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 trying to specialize in 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 appreciating and building up the individual, even though they're brothers and sisters. So that's 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 me. You know, I want them all to grow up mm-hmm. with a distinct memory of them and their father. You know what I'm saying? Um, even though they grew up in a in a, in a nice big clique, three. You know. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's one of them. The the most rewarding thing. Oh my God, man. Kids are so dope. <laughs> I, like, I love this time and this quarantine time. <laughs> Bro, my kids are well-behaved. So that's why one, I don't, you know, I don't have to, like, I don't have to really chase them around. Like right. you know, my voice, you know, I'm a small guy, but I got a little boom in my voice. So, you know, mm-hmm. I use it, you know, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> <laughs> straight up and fly right but it's such a joy man um i think i have a knack for making really complicated things simple mm-hmm. and my kids bang with me man like i i hit them with some really you know strong concepts you know and i try to break it down and they get it and they regurgitate it back to me they repeat it back to me and i'm like wow if at 10 they're handling concepts that i thought were deep at 25 Mm. You know what I'm saying? And and my oldest son is breaking it down real easy. I'm like, yeah, I understand that. I'm like, where is he going to be at 25? Mm. You know? Um, I love that trajectory. I'm like, whoa, he's going to be, he's going to surpass my collective knowledge one day. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a sight to behold. You know? Um, I, and I just love seeing it, seeing it happen. I, I love to see healthy black young kids, you know? Yeah. Who, you know? They don't need to, I don't spank my kids. They don't need to be spanked and all the different things. You know, it's just a beauty about them. They have a lot of energy 
They have a lot of chi. They have a lot of goodness in them, you know, and it just needs to be directed. It don't need to be spanked out of them. It don't need to be disciplined out of them. It just, that, that's a lot of power. Like, you know, little black kids got a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And if you, can, if you can concentrate that thing, focus that, all that powerful energy they have, boy, <laughs> it's mad. They, they, they're, 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 they're powerful creatures, man. And I, and I, I really just appreciate mine. Really do, especially in this time. Just we have nothing to do but look in each other's faces all day. And and I take I've taken them out to um, little parking lots that are way open and mm-hmm. and you know let them spin around and you know get some sun. Mm-hmm. But it has been almost a miracle of time for me. The earth has literally almost stopped. There's mm-hmm. nowhere to go. There's no money to spend. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to go but to sit down. They have a lockdown order. Sit down with your family. Right, and I'm thankful I have a peaceful family. You know that that this time is enjoyable. You know, enjoyable. So uh, it's it's a miracle, man. I now, just I light up at the thought of just this time. Wow, that's what's up. That's what now. And before this whole pandemic, what would be your time <clears throat> tips? What would be my what? Time management. Time. Ooh, I'm big on it. I'm disciplined with the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know, a pastor, you know, a pastor is either successful or a failure strictly on their own, his or own self. Mm-hmm. You become as busy as you want to be, or not. Mm-hmm. You set your own. You you know, you create projects as a pastor. You create it. You just decide, like, hey, you know what? We're gonna, you know, do this. We're gonna do this. I'm, and I'm talking about like spiritual programming, not like mm-hmm. rhythm church. You know, not unilateral decisions. But you know, you can create your own projects and be as busy as you want or not you know so um so i'm, I'm forgetting the question what was, what was the question again time management yeah time management. so yeah man I'm, I'm i'm big on i'm big on waking up early waking up early um praying and meditating and having devotion and writing you know i'm really disciplined with writing you know just about every day you know i think that there you know when when, when you feel the lord speaking to you um, making an impression upon your heart, you need to write it down because you're not going to remember. You're not going to remember what God said, you know, April 9th, you know, at 7 a.m., a few months down the line. Right. You know, and so you need to build up a cachet of what you feel God has been saying to you, what you're saying to God, of course. Just your impressions. It doesn't have to be like a clear word, you know, God said to me today thus, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just your impression, you know, your feeling about it. And you create over time through that discipline a cachet of your own devotionals. So you ain't need to keep going by in the next devotional all the time. Right. Somebody else's experience with God. You have almost like a little, a little thing yourself, you know, maybe about 30 pages of your own encouragement times when you were really, really low and you, and you wrote this with what God said to you. Then you can go back to that. That's alive. That, that stuff on that page is alive, right. you know, but it takes discipline to, you know, wake up and to do it when you don't have any distractions. Usually for me, that's early morning. When it's dark, when I know everybody's asleep, I love that time, you know. So I get up and I have devotion, meditate, pray, and write. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I exercise hardcore, you know. So I have a peaceful time and then I go into war, you know. So I, you know, just to get my energy up, I do something completely drastic. So my devotion time is really quiet and serene and peaceful and zen and you know, spiritual. And then I go into a completely different energy and I go buck crazy, you know, with the workout, with the push-ups and it is, or the boxing, or it's just straight grizzly, you know, drooling, hardcore, right. hit showers, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, and for me, my day is set. 
I can see through my day. My day is locked in. You know, um, I've prepared for the potentiality of something going wrong because I did a crazy workout where I punished myself. So nothing hits me during the day. That's a that's a shock because I've shocked myself already, and I take hot, hot cold showers. That's a secret. <laughs> hot, hot, hot. You know, take a night hot, and then for the last two minutes, turn it ice cold. What? Yes. You what? basically you put yourself through self trauma so that later on in the day you you're impervious to any type of trauma you get. Trust me, it works. It sounds weird. Oh, um, you like secretly <laughs> in the or something? I said, were you secretly a Marine or something? <laughs> I wanted to be. I wanted to be. But yeah, but that, but that, those disciplines early in the morning set me, set me up for success. I'm telling you, like, you know, and um, yeah, you, you know, so like what I hear in the morning from God, it, it repeats in the day. Mm-hmm. I see him speaking or I hear him speaking, you know, and um, basically it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's about that. You know, someone said, I was watching a video the other day. I thought it was so powerful. They were saying, you know, everybody searches for what their purpose is. Mm-hmm. This guy says, what if you are your purpose? Mm-hmm. What if you are your purpose? What if mm-hmm. mastery of yourself is your purpose? And then, of course, the expression of what you do from that place of purpose, you mm-hmm. know, like helping kids. It might be doing an online thing. you got many things that you would probably love to do, you know, but you are your purpose. You know, God created you a special. You are fearfully one of <laughs> you're one of a trillion no one looks exactly like you no one acts like you obviously so and i deal with blueprints so i know what it is for an architect to lay down his time to build something or to design something unique you know what i mean it takes time and that thing ain't junk you know i know that we're sinful and we do things that we shouldn't do but but do it all like you are supremely precious to god Mm. and there are things that i think that god has placed in you in us that we don't even know we have no clue about and it takes time with yourself it takes loving yourself it takes you know really sitting down with yourself to discover all of the treasures that god has placed within us talents and gifts and so forth and so on you know so we are our greatest purpose and the purpose is to find out all of the fearfully and wonderfully made things that god has placed within us um that's that's our life's work and out of the abundance of finding out those those things Mm -hmm. you can do now you can become a singer or you can become this or you can become that. God didn't create you to be a, a Instagram star. You see what I'm saying? We might feel like, I want to be an Instagram star. You're like Instagram wasn't in my thoughts when I made you. You know what I'm saying? Right. But maybe your speaking ability, maybe your love of technology will put you on a platform where you can now do something that is in line with your purpose of who you are. So you are your greatest purpose. Um, you're one in a billion trillion. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that that is enough to feel special every day, enough to treat yourself right, you know, to to, to love yourself. Um, and, and that's what the Lord says. He says, um, he says to love others as you love your. Oh, yep. I think that that's what's missing in the Christian community. It's a lack of loving. We feel a little weird loving ourselves. It almost feels self-chastisement self-condemnation feels better you know because you know, lord i ain't doing right i don't sinned again mm-hmm. it feels it feels humble it feels therapeutic but you know but he really told you to like love yourself and only out of capacity of loving yourself can you really love others so if you don't really you think you love people but if you don't you don't love yourself mm-hmm. whew, i love myself enough to want to survive this disease mm-hmm. i was doing everything i could to live right mm-hmm. that's love <laughs> <laughs> you got the got to love. 
yeah. you have to love yourself, you know? Yeah, no, that's big. And, and this virus taught me that because you're alone. Mm. You're alone at the end of the day. Somebody might bring you a meal here or there or whatever, but you are alone and you need to raise your vibration, your happiness, mm-hmm. and, and, and a little bit of that is love. A little mm-hmm. bit of love, self-love, self-generating. Right. Yep. Awesome. Boom. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with Pastor Donald Roll after this. What's going on, folks? We're back. Episode five of the Deep More Today show. I am here, Dr. Sean Thomas, with my co-host, Terrence Sparrow, uh, VP of Be More Today. And our guest for today is Pastor Donald Roll uh, from Harlem, New York, currently right now in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Pastor, it's been a pleasure listening to you. And we got some more questions for you at this time. Sure. Now, uh, I don't know how much you know about us, but Be More Today is basically our, our small business. It's our mantra. And uh, the phrase Be More Today is something that we have created and kind of banked on. The whole world is kind of using this better version of me theme. You see it yeah. everywhere. So they have commercials and everything right now. Sure. Um, but we have been doing this Be More Today thing for a minute. And my question for you today is, what does the phrase, when you hear it, Be More Today, mean to you? Wow. Um... I think be more today is a very encouraging term when I hear it because um, it lets me know that this day I have the capacity and opportunity to be more than what I was yesterday, you know, um, that there is room for me to grow, um, elevate, lift up, um, do better, um, capitalize on, use yesterday as a stepping stone. Um, or a step, you know, so be more and then, and then the emphasis on today, you know, um, which is our now moment. You know, there's only the only time to really promise the time you have now, mm-hmm. you know, you can't get the past back and you definitely don't know too much about what's happening in the future. But, you know, it, it, it has an urgency of now to use the phrase of Barack Obama, you know, the today part really stands out. Um, so it's, 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 it's utilizing the day, the now to be better right now. And, 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 and it, it, it would have to be small steps, obviously. If you want to be more today, you know, all of that doesn't come all in the day, um, but it comes, it, comes, it comes in small steps. And we, we don't necessarily like that part, but, yeah. you know, but, but every single day, adding a deposit every day, you know, builds up something powerful over time. And so I, I, I like that. I like that mantra of being and then being more. It's a self-assessment. You know, it's not be better than them mm-hmm. today, <laughs> be more than them today. It's, it's, it's you know, as a being, you know, it's me. It's me. How am I being a little bit better than yesterday? Yeah. That's a challenge. Awesome. Okay. Um, next question. Your biggest failure or obstacle and how you've seen it shape your life or define your life today to who you are today? Hmm. My biggest failure and how it has shaped me mm-hmm. today. Or obstacle. Or obstacle. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, you know, it's not, it wasn't a moment, but the, this type of thinking led me to moments of what I felt were low moments of failure. Mm-hmm. Um, as a pastor, my personality began to mesh with my job, meaning like I'm an extrovert, mm-hmm. um, a sanguine I love people talking. I love people to like me at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that desire can, it's not always good, especially as a leader. 
you know, because you got to make decisions, of course, that people won't like. They won't like you all the time. You won't be in people's favor. Everybody won't be smiling. Everybody won't like you, you know. And um, and for me as a pastor, those were the lowest moments when I found out somebody didn't like me. And I'm like, me? You don't like me? All of this bubbly goodness I got, yeah, you know. And so, you know, it, it was my desire to try to please people right. that led me to my lowest moments, basically. Um you know, it just, it, it altered how it operated. It, it, it altered my psyche. It, it caused depression, um, which then affected my effectiveness with preaching. You know, my sermons suffered. Um, prayer life suffered. Um, marital life suffered. Right? It's, it's a small thing that trickled into other things because it made me so gravely unhappy to have people dislike me or to, to walk into a place where I have to deal with the friction you know, and I'm talking about like you could you could have a church of 120 people and two people don't like you, and that thing will destroy you. Wow. I mean, the other hundred some people tell you all the time they appreciate you and they're grateful and they like it and you're doing a great job, but you give yourself over to those two people, you know, because you're dependent on people praise, people praise. I think that's you know what happened. That people praise, um, that desire for it, you know, um. It's a nasty deal, man. Nasty deal. Nasty deal. And so I had to grow up. And I think maybe a lot of us have that desire, you know. It, 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 I had to grow up in front of people. That's what was hard as a pastor. Yeah. It's, it's, you're growing, but you're doing, because you're getting up before people every single week telling them what they're supposed to do. How are you supposed to be doing that and you growing? Mm. It is such, uh, you know, because I started pastor when I was 26 years old. So I, I can't have everything right. You know what I'm saying? And you know you're going to make mistakes, but, bro, how many of us go to work and you got, like, in my mind then, 120 bosses? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Assessing your work. Yeah. Assessing your work. Your sermon got to be on point. You're preaching before them. Mm -hmm. Your stuff has to, you know, everything is for the public. So everything is so public. So Mm -hmm. your failure is public. Right. You know, you bomb a sermon, public, and you know you bombed it because last week they it was a pastor that thought it was dope. This week they're like, "Thank you for your service, pastor." You like, <laughs> it's demoralizing, you know. Uh, yeah, so you know, and then you come back, you're like, "Oh, I ain't gonna have another week like that," you know, like you know, like how some NBA teams don't like to lose two games in a row. Yeah. We don't want to have two sermons that go plop, you know, in a row, you know. <laughs> That's ultimate failure, at least for a person who loves to preach like me. So I think it was, it was the, it was my failing moment came slow because of a misguided desire to please everybody. And it led to extreme unhappiness. I'm talking about depression. I experienced depression as a preacher. Mm. You know, while I was preaching, like, powerful sermons Mm. from my greatest came in my darkest hour you know and you just would never know you know what i mean um pastor jules spoke about it sometimes he he says um it's the elijah moment where you call down fire one moment right hour in the cave in a couple of days and he describes like on sabbath he's on top of the mountain proclaiming and then by wednesday thursday he's literally in the fetal position it's real. It's crazy, you know, and um, 
Yeah, those are those are low moments because you still have to pastor when you're feeling that low. And the decisions that you make and the things that you do in those moments are very critical, you know, because you can set yourself up for a cyclical failure, cyclical depression. Right. So, yeah, I think that, that that was me at one point in time. I just lost the oomph, the power, the energy, the burn. And the only thing I could do was preach. Everything else, I was just like, no energy. You know, thank God for that little bit that was left in the tank. Mm-hmm. You know, enough to slowly build myself. Right. Grow. And to understand it's okay to make mistakes in front of people, mm-hmm. especially on this platform. Mm-hmm. And I was able to bounce back, bounce back hard and be more. Yeah. <laughs> you say now uh, is one of the things on your bucket list. Say that again. One, one of the things on your bucket list. Oh, woo. oh my gosh. Oh man, I got so much, man. <laughs> um, um, one, one of the things on my bucket list is to own um, a lot of real estate property in New York City. You okay. Know? Yeah, you know, so I'm in that, you know, I'm, I, I, I now can see how it happens, you know, um, you know, so I want to be, I want to be a real estate owner, a real estate developer in New York City, in, in the baddest place in the land, in the world, you know, I want to, you know, I want to do that, you know, and so, yeah, that's, that's one of the things on my bucket list. Um, something fun, something crazy is, um, not crazy, I, I want to go to Ghana, I want to go to Ghana to, um, to the, to the slave port mm-hmm. um, where they, you know, would send the, send the slaves out to the new world. Um, sort of the, the door of no return, they call it, you know, I, that's my bucket list to go there. I think that it's for me a type of uh, pilgrimage as a child of the diaspora. I think that it's important to somehow reconnect, you know, back to, you know, back to the motherland. I, I don't know much, but to, to go back there, I have to take my body back there, my body, that there, you know, you got to think like you come from a line of people, you know, who unfortunately was kidnapped from their land. And the only thing that they wanted, their burning desire, at least some ancestor in your, in your period of time, burned to go back. Yeah. Wish they were thinking about their family back home. They wanted to, everything in the burn hot to just get out of here and go back. I'm going to do that proverbially for that. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm going to go back and just, just experience being back home as it were. You know, so that's that's one thing on my bucket list. I think it's a, it's almost like a spiritual journey, almost. You know how the Israelites would, after captivity, um, they would make their way back to Jerusalem. Right. You know, what I mean? you know that that trail, you know, back to back to the land, even though it was it was desolate and it was destroyed. You know, they uh, many of them went back home to rebuild, and um, I would love to to go to Ghana. On my bucket list, yeah. Mm. Yeah, me too, man. Shoot, let's go. We go together, right? Um, with the Be More Today t-shirts on. <laughs> That's right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote this book, uh, Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. And Get in the book, we have man. these steps to greatness that um, I kind of put throughout the book. The basic thing that you should, well, you can start doing, stop doing, and then goals for your life. So I'm curious for you, Pastor. Uh, What's one thing that you want to start doing or have already started doing this year? Um, well, that's a very good question. Um, I, well, one, writing a book. That's why you, you, you mentioned you're doing two things that I, I really want to do this year, you know. Um, podcasting, you know. Um, it's in my heart. I got a lot to say. I talk a lot, obviously. Um, and, and two, writing a book. 
So, you know, out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, but really, I'm looking at you with your mic and your setup, you two guys. And um, and I'm saying, you know what? Yeah, that's that's doable. It's doable to, to have a, a studio inside my home and to and to do that this year, you know, and to, and to have a book to accompany it this year. You know, so I don't want to bite off your stuff too much and use no, your autograph. Yeah. Use your map, brother. Uh, you're my role model right now. <laughs> listen anyone can do this stuff literally i i emulated someone else who did the same thing and uh ricky ventures is a good friend of mine he wrote a book he had a podcast and uh he is the one who kind of inspired me to do this so you're next let's do it yeah let's do it um what's the one thing you want to stop doing this year if anything um i want to stop doing Wow, I stopped doing those things last year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do I want to stop doing? Wow, you know, I've really, I've... wow, I'm not perfect, so I can find something now. <laughs> um, I think I want to stop procrastinating. I think that that's always been a uh, a fight. It's always been an ever present enemy, you know, procrastination. So, you know, for me, a lot of good, a a lot of good ideas have gone to die Mm -hmm. and stayed in the idea phase, you know? So, um, you know, procrastination has literally, you know, I don't know. You, you never know. You never know what was on the other side of a great idea, you know? Um, so yeah, so really, really the procrastination with great ideas needs to stop, um, immediately today. Yeah. You know, so, so that's one thing that absolutely has to stop. It's been a plague of mine since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Literally, a plague. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. You know, and yeah. Then just one goal, and if you mentioned it already during the show, it's all good, but one goal you have for 2020. Um, I think it, it, it would be to move up in, in the company where I work. Um, you know, because it becomes more complex, of course, when you start dealing with project management. Um, and you know, you know, being a, you know, being a project manager over over a project, I think you know, it's a lot. Of, so you know, yeah. So if I can, within within this year, if I can position myself to do certain things, to become a full blown project manager, then I'm gunning for it. I'm gunning for the gusto. I'm going shooting for the juggler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lastly, any encouraging words for our listeners? I know it's a it's a holiday time. You know, churches, synagogues are closed. So, any encouraging um, words for listeners during this Easter slash Passover time this season? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Um, you know, it comes in the midst of such um, just a, a, a scary, unknown time. The quarantine, the lockdown, and the virus. Um, I think the encouraging thing. Man, if we can, if we can find any encouragement in this time, um, is that we are seeing what is really, really important in our human experience. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, money has its place. Material possessions has its place. But in an odd way, those things are not the things that we are worried about sustaining us at this point in time. Money is not sustaining you. You know, some people are quarantined in big houses, but they're sick. Mm. You know, some people are quarantined in just a room in New York, but they're well. You know what I'm saying? The the number one currency today, right this instant, is health. Mm-hmm. 
You right. know, it's our health. You know, it's the number one thing. You're rich. You are a rich person if you have your health right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, you have the greatest thing to be desired right now. You know, you have the thing that other people are begging for at this moment. You know, and these people might have a lot of material possessions, you know, but, you know, it, it, it shows you that you can be appreciative for something that you have in your possession right now that you did not think was all that was all that important. Um, I think it's. It's encouraging for us to take a pause and remember that the earth don't play. Mm hmm. Um, I have, I, I was always a nature guy. Like I love nature, 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 nature. I grew up with Petri dishes and microscopes on my bunk bed growing up. And my mother just loaded me with all types of national geographic stuff. And one thing I've always learned with nature is that, is that the earth has a way of dealing with a predator that becomes too great, a predator that becomes too ever present. And they begin to overwhelm the resources or they begin to wipe out other species around them. Mm. Listen, if there's an ant uh, type of ant that moves in and, and just begins to destroy the topography and all of the vegetation, all the other animals, and it kills. The earth always, slowly but surely, through nature, creates an answer to bring down the, the widespread of this destructive predator. I think that humanity, in some respects, have become a destructive type of predator on earth, meaning how we treat the animals and what we do to the environment and what we do to other people and what we do with our power and how we're raping the resources. You know, God says in revelation, he will destroy those who destroy the earth, you know? And, um, and so, you know, humanity, I think needed a, a humbling moment where we quickly realize in an instant Listen, there, there is something greater than you that can take you out immediately and reduce your numbers, mm -hmm. reduce you, you know what I'm saying, to a heaping pile, you know, with all of your stuff. I mean, something so invisible. So, you know, you know you're studying about this virus thing and it's really not an organism. It's, it's, it doesn't have a, you know, it's not like a cell. It's not like a piece of bacteria. It's something different. It's just a different thing, you know. And for something so small to literally humble us, take away our businesses and our livelihood and our movement and our freedom. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I think that we're going to be a little bit more careful with the animals. Yeah. Yeah. We're a little bit more careful with what we eat and how we eat. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We're going to, we're, you know, life is so precious now. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we, we at least value each other a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? The human being is sacred. Who even wants to fight you? you who wants to mug you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't even want to commit a crime. Yeah. You go up and try to rob somebody and catch COVID. Yeah. <laughs> you go up and try to rape or whatever it is and catch COVID. Right. You see what I'm saying? Everything stops, even the foolishness. Gang members can't even be gang gang. <laughs> you throw up a sign and give that and catch COVID. <laughs> Sit down. You understand? Even church people have been humbled. They thought. Because it was the signs of the times, they was going to get it. No, nah, church people dying too. You sit down too. Yeah. The gang members sitting down, the politicians sitting down. You see what I'm saying? The yeah. black person sitting, the white person sitting, the Chinese man. Nobody's greater than anybody. This is the great equalizer. I'm telling you, the earth has a way yeah. of dealing with a predator, predator who's become too great. Mm. That's, mm. that's what I believe. So, you know, I don't blame it on God. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't have a lot of spiritual answers for this. I don't know how to. Mm 
I don't know how to say that God sent this. No, I don't say God sent it because it happened to me. What I do? Mm-hmm. You see right. what I'm saying? <laughs> you see, so I don't look at it as judgment. It, it, it's signs of the times, sure enough. You know what I'm saying? But does God inflict the signs of the times or do the signs of the times emerge because of the chaos of the times? Mm. Who knows? I, I'm not giving answers to it. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. I test all of the different theories. You know, I got a little of the 5G stuff in me to you. Towers, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. But, you know, you know, I give a little room. I give a little room for the possibility of a few things. You know what I mean? And um, the earth ain't playing. And we depend on the earth. And, and you know, and I, as much as we depend on God, God has given us the earth to sustain us. We eat from it and drink from it every day, you know, because of its rhythm and its movement. We sleep, eat, breathe based on this thing. You know what I'm saying? This is home and we're neighbors, you know, and we got to be nice to our neighbors, man. Love your neighbors, Jesus said. And they ain't probably just not human beings either. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Love and, and let that thing spread. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, I just... <laughs> cool. really, I'm really I'm, I'm talking to the earth like leave us alone like we're all right now we learned our lesson <laughs> now, let, let the people know where they can find you where they can follow you sure thing um, follow me on, on Instagram at Harlemade Harlem like lemonade Harlemade ADE at the end or you can follow me on Facebook um, you can just add follow me because I've reached my friend capacity okay 5,000 friends friends <laughs> friends but anyway but um, you can follow me on um, on Facebook. And if you're interested in sermons and stuff like that, you can go on YouTube um, and just type in my name. And, you know, all types of churches put up all types of sermons, you know. So um, my, my, my favorite sermons, my, you know, my greatest hits are all on YouTube. And so <laughs> you can watch sermons to get a little bit of that. And, um, and I think that I'm going to start doing a couple of lives, Facebook lives, just about what to do if you do contract COVID, you know, little things that you can do to just try to manage some of the symptoms. Um, yeah. So just a little something just to help the people out. You know, I don't got nothing too deep to say, but, but yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Donald Roll, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you've enlightened us. You've inspired us. You've made our show so much better just by your presence. We really appreciate it. And yeah, man, I look forward to being on your show when you start your show. Let's get this going. Come on, brother. Reclaiming that. Reclaiming that. Absolutely. Um, and for all you listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us again for episode five of the Be More Today show. Um, again, our message from this the beginning is about health. And again, Audrey Lord, don't forget, she says, I have come to believe that caring for myself is not self-indulgent. Caring for myself is an act of survival. Let's continue to push forward and survive every single day that we go forward. Uh, for those of you who are following us on our Be More Today pages for Facebook and Instagram, continue to do so. We appreciate it. You can also visit us on our website, bemoretoday.com, for more information on our music and my book and our podcast information. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our pages on YouTube as well. And, of course, our Spotify page for Be More Today Music. And you can always follow us for our Be More Today show on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. For those of you who are joining us for the 40-day challenge, we're still moving forward. And uh, this show will debut on uh, day four, uh, 12, April 12th for Be More Today 40-day book challenge. So join us for that as we continue to move forward. And for those of you who want a special treat, we're going to end with excerpts from a message by Pastor Donald Roll that he delivered at Kingsborough Temple. It will be available when we release Words for Life Volume 3, which will be coming out very, very soon this season. So look forward to that. Enjoy that while we have it. And for those of you who are driving around and walking around, keep your mask on, keep your gloves on, and have a good day. 
Have a good night. Have a great life. Let's continue to take steps to be the best version of ourselves. Keep pushing forward, people. Let's go. Peace. Judges chapter two is almost like a codex. It's like an index to help you to understand why they go through the subsequent things that they do in the remaining chapters. Okay. Beginning at verse seven, it says this. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. It's understandable. And the elders who outlived Joshua. Those elders who had seen all of the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Capiche? Do we understand? Mm-hmm. It says in verse 8, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris and in the hill of Ephraim, north of Mount Geash. Now check this out in verse 10. It says, after that whole entire generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor the things he had done for Israel. Did you hear that? And then look at verse 11, almost in a horror, chilly tone. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Hmm. Worship these false gods of the land that they found themselves in. And then now like tripwire, booby traps. Years later, right? Decades later, they're finding that the people of the land are rising somehow. Their gods are strong and they've traded the worship of the Lord. And then God says in chapter six that the Midianites, the Amalekites and other Eastern peoples come like locusts, like swarms on the hills. It said right at the time of harvest, right when everything was right, all of them would show up with camels that you could not number and they would pile into the land and they would strip the land dry. They would take everything. They did not leave cattle nor donkeys nor anything. And it says they did this for seven years. So the Israelites find themselves conquered for seven years and then all of a sudden it says that they cry out to the Lord and then we find this interaction with Gideon. Gideon, the Bible says, is threshing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding, he's hiding the wheat from the enemy. He's in a wine press, but he's threshing wheat. Gideon knows how to survive. He's in survival mode. So the angel of the Lord appears to him as a man and then says to him, you're a warrior and the Lord is with you. Gideon doesn't agree with the word of God. Matter of fact, he doesn't even know that this is God. He turns to this individual, he whips over and he yells to the individual, God, if God was with us, God was with us and all of this bad stuff wouldn't be happening to us. He says, I belong to the weakest clan and I'm the least in my family. You can't expect anything from me except for threshing wheat and a wine press. When he finally tries to convince Gideon of this, Gideon's like, I might believe. First, you got to do this for me. And then Gideon challenges God to do something with a sacrifice, to burn up the sacrifice. God does it. Then God is like, now I have a challenge for you. The first mission that God wants Gideon to fulfill, he gives it to him. This is what he said to my brother. He says, I want you to go into your father's stable. 
And I want you to find that bull, that seven-year-old bull, the second one, not the firstborn. The firstborn is gone. Grab that second-year bull. It's seven years old. It's how old? How old is the bull? One more time. That seven-year-old bull, I want you to take that bull out, Gideon. I want you to take it atop that hill. I want you to cut down the false gods that they have built. Take the wood, right, that you cut down, and I want you to build a sacrifice. Listen to the instructions. Then take that seven-year-old bull. How old? I love y'all, right? Sacrifices it, puts it on top of the altar. Gideon is so scared he does it at night. But now, here's the reason why that's significant. The Bible told us earlier in the chapter, if you were listening, that whenever the Midianites came into town, they did what? Took what? For seven years, wiped all of their crops, took all of the donkeys, took all of the sheep, took all of the cattle. So how is it that when God wants this mission done, that there's one bull left? And how old is the bull? How long were they under oppression? Hmm. So that would mean that the same moment that they went into oppression was the same moment that a bull was born. In other words, the moment where we end up in trouble is the same moment God is creating a solution for our problem. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The whole time while you're going through your darkness. The whole time while you're experiencing your oppression. The answer has still been placed in your midst. When the problem started, the answer was born. He said, so I want you to take that one thing that's left in you. The devil took everything else from you. But he left one thing. And the one thing that he left is the only thing needed to change everything. Oh my gosh. God will use the one thing left in you as the one thing necessary to change everything about you. 